0: Back in seminary, in our pastoral theology class, we had to work with genograms. Genograms are like family trees, but they note all the unusual trends and realities in your family. So, a genogram might note how alcoholism has shown up in each generation. Or it might know that there was a tendency for firstborn sons to leave home at the age of 18 for parts unknown. Or, it might reveal that your grandparents raised their grandchild as their youngest child. Something that no one knew until your aunt in her final years revealed her teenage pregnancy. I was drawn to thoughts of genograms because our Old Testament reading for today is the story of Joseph and his brothers. All summer, we've been making our way through the book of Genesis, recounting the stories of our patriarchs, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And while each generation of this family has genogram-worthy revelations, none of them compares to Jacob and his sons. Jacob's children were born of four different mothers, two of which were his wives, Leah and Rachel, and two of which were his wives' maids, Zippah and Bilha. In summary, team Leah, including her maid, had nine of Jacob's children. Team Rachel, including her maid, had four. Now, throw into the mix that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. And Rachel died giving birth to their youngest child. So, Joseph and Benjamin, Rachel's two sons, are Jacob's favorites. And all the other siblings know it. This family is ripe for a genogram chart messy with dysfunction. And they do not disappoint. Our passage today is the climax of the family saga, the reconciliation of the brothers. Jealous that their father favors Joseph, his brothers sell him into slavery and break their father's heart. Against all odds, Joseph ultimately ascends to power in Egypt at Pharaoh's right hand. Famine paralyzes the region, and the brothers are forced to go to Egypt to buy food. By a crazy quirk of fate, it is Joseph whom they must ask for grain. They do not recognize him, but he knows them. In today's scene, Joseph is overcome with emotion and reveals his identity to his brothers. Weeping so loudly that it could be heard throughout the household, Joseph tells his brothers three times not to be angry with themselves because God has used him to preserve life out of this famine. He tells his brother to bring their father, Jacob, and all their families to settle in this area because there will be five more years of famine, and Joseph wants to provide for them. This scene is often held up as a great biblical example of forgiveness. Joseph's brothers did this bad thing in selling him into slavery. All these years later, Joseph not only reconciles with them, but provides for their survival so that God's chosen people might continue to thrive. And as the cherry on top, Joseph gives all the credit to God. Don't worry, he says, even though you had bad intentions, God made me important, gave me power, and is using me to save lives. But I think we might be missing something here. While forgiveness is an important tenet of discipleship, I don't know if I see this story as such a great exemplar. It isn't black and white, good guys and bad guys. No, it is much more complex. While it's not obvious from our passage for today, this is not the first time Joseph has met with his brothers in Egypt. Back when the famine started, they came to him to buy grain. But Instead of outing himself to his brothers, giving them an opportunity to express remorse and finding a way to move forward, Joseph begins a twisted game of cat and mouse. Rather than reconciliation, Joseph meets his brothers with manipulation. He pretends not to know them, accuses them of spying, throws them all in jail for three days, and then demands that after they take their grain home, they return to Egypt with Benjamin, their youngest brother. Joseph even has Simeon bound and thrown in prison to guarantee their return. Then, he sneaks the money they paid for the grain back into their sacks, a sure indication to the brothers when they discover it later that if they return Stealing will be added to their charges of spying. After some time, when the family is once again out of food, the brothers are forced to return for more grain, this time with Benjamin. Joseph, having a second opportunity to come clean, chooses instead to continue his deceit. Rather than reveal his identity, Joseph has his own silver cup slipped into Benjamin's sack, setting him up for a charge of stealing. At this point, Judah steps in to plead for Benjamin's release for the sake of their father, Jacob, whose life, he says, is bound up in the life of the boy. And that brings us to today's scene where Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers. Knowing all of that makes today's reunion look quite different, don't you think? If Joseph truly had forgiveness in his heart and truly believed that God had arranged all of his circumstances so that he would be in a position to save the lives of countless people, why the deception and cruelty? How is this prolonged payback over several encounters and several months, in any way, an example of the grace of forgiveness. Perhaps what this story better reveals is just how messy forgiveness can be, especially among our families and loved ones. These brothers, competitive since birth, Have all behaved poorly with each other. It is wrong to sell your snot nosed braggart little brother into slavery. It's wrong to lock your brothers in prison and plant stolen goods on them. There are no good guys and bad guys here, there is just messy family relationships. And sometimes forgiveness in such messy situations. Is messy as well. It can be dormant or meandering or erratic or a roller coaster ride. Joseph might have needed all of what transpired so that he could release the years of pent up anger and grief. Yet, Joseph is conflicted about all this as his frequent breaks to give way to his tears demonstrates. He might not have known up until the moment he revealed himself to his brothers what his end game was. But at some point Joseph chooses relationship with his family over being right or wielding power or demanding justice. And maybe it is in that moment of choosing reconciliation, of choosing forgiveness, that Joseph is able to see how this big messy family saga has been used by God for a greater purpose. While God does not cause the evil and destruction that befall us, he can use our lives and our circumstances, messy as they are, to work his good intentions for us and for the whole world. The saga of Joseph and his brothers reminds us that even in the most deeply troubled families who have experienced unimaginable rupture, forgiveness and healing are possible. There's always the possibility of the release of our guilt, the healing of our pain, and the reestablishment of our relationships. And perhaps when we are able to choose reconciliation, we too will be gifted with an understanding of how God is using our messy forgiveness to further his purposes. Amen.